You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. Um, also, fair warning, Ovi just told me I can go over, so it's not my fault. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I was super relieved when he said that. Uh, this, we, we're going to go over uh, a ton of scripture uh, today. Um, and uh, so where, where we've been is uh, we've been going through a, uh, a series called Into the Wilderness. And, uh, and so if you haven't been here the last two weeks, uh, we've, been, we've been talking about wilderness and this concept of wilderness and kind of how it's uh, strewn throughout the Bible. Uh, and it, it quite literally is throughout the entire, entirety of the Bible. Uh, it's, it's a constant, and so we need to get our, our fingers around what is, uh, what is this concept of the wilderness. Uh, and often the wilderness is, uh, is a place of suffering uh, or uh, kind of desertion or abandonment or isolation. Uh, but all of those things kind of all co- go inside in this, in this idea of suffering. Uh, and Ovi, in the first week, he talked about how uh, it's in this wilderness that we actually are given good gifts from God. And these, these gifts are, are, are so unique in the wilderness that we're given uh, these, these concepts uh, only in the wilderness and only in suffering can we actually see their benefits, right? Um, and uh, we, we've been uh, in, in this, um, uh, in, in the, <laughs> yeah, I don't have my hands, I can't, <laughs> how am I going to talk? <laughs> so, uh, but uh, in, the, in the first series where we talked about how in the wilderness we, we, get, these, uh, uh, we get these good gifts from God. Right? And these gifts are, are often only accessible through the vehicle of suffering. Um, and, uh, and, and that can be unfortunate, but also uh, it's, it just gives us this proper perspective that we don't suffer needlessly. Right? So often we go through suffering and we just waste it. Right? We go through suffering and we just say, well, how can I get out of this? How can I end this? How can I get on the other side? Uh, but as Christians, we should be asking, what is God teaching me here? What's he drawing me into? Right? He, he's getting us a, a closer glimpse into his nature and who he is and also who we are and who we're not, right? And there, there's good gifts in that, That's, it's, and it's so important. Um, what was often said of the early church and what was saying a lot because they were, they were the ones that were kind of fed the lions and crucified and set on fire uh, is the early church was so, so, so persecuted uh, viciously is that Christians suffered better, right? That's what was said. Like you just, you knew a Christian because they suffered better than everyone else, Wow. right? And, and it's, it's this concept of, of going through the wilderness is, is that God gives us, he gives us these gifts, right? And that's what we talked about. Um, and we, we got into this a little bit in, uh, in at least Tuesday night D groups uh, was this, uh, this, this really um, uncomfortable situation of do we have to go through the wilderness to get those lessons, right? And it, it's... It kind of irks you because it does beg the question, if I go through the wilderness, I'm, God's teaching me something like a shortcoming in my life or something that, that I'm blind to. Uh, and so it does beg the question, uh, what, if, what if I just draw closer to God and I don't need the wilderness? Do I still suffer, right? And uh, you'll have to wait to the end of the sermon because we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> so we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> so 
Uh, that's, that's where we started off. Uh, and then the second sermon, we, talk, we, we actually took a look at Isaiah. Uh, and Isaiah, uh, he, um, he experienced uh, just amazing victory at Mount Carmel. Um, he, um, he Elijah, just, Elijah. Oh, I'm sorry. What did I say? Isaiah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, not Isaiah. Elijah. Uh, and and he, uh, he exposed Baal for what he was, which was nothing, right? At least before, uh, before Yahweh, before uh, the true God. Uh, and then immediately after, he, he escapes into the wilderness because someone threatens his life. And it's in that wilderness that he actually, uh, he, he, he finds great depression, and he finds isolation, and he finds uh, abandonment. Um, and there's, there's some indication that he even uh, kind of accuses God of creating this situation, right? Um, and yet it's in that wilderness, it's in that space that God spoke to him. And, uh, and what we talked about last week, how, how often we just, we really zero in on like God spoke to, uh, spoke to him in that, in that still small voice. And that's true. He absolutely does. He speaks to us. We even looked at that in D groups again, where he, he draws Israel out into the wilderness and speaks tenderly to her, right? That's, that's such a critical part in God interacting with us. But yet God also demonstrates his power in the wilderness too, just like with him. With a great wind and with an earthquake and with a fire, God demonstrates his power, right? And just like Israel, when he brought them out of Egypt, he demonstrated his power and then brought them into the wilderness, right? And so it's understanding how God kind of interacts with us in the wilderness is also critically important to how we suffer. How is God speaking to us? How is he communicating with us? He communicates in a lot of different ways, and a lot of times it's that still small voice uh, that heals us, but sometimes we don't need healing, we need to be broken, right? So, that's what leads us to, uh, to today's sermon. Uh, so we've been mostly in the Old Testament, but today we're jumping to the New Testament. We're actually going to be in Matthew 4. So, uh, Matthew 4 is uh, it, it's just 1 through 11, and we're actually going to be looking at the temptation of Jesus. So, Jesus goes into the wilderness... And, uh, and then Satan interacts with him and tempts him, get, offers him three temptations. And so what we're going to be looking at today is how to overcome temptation in the wilderness. Um, and to be honest, uh, this, um, this can get a bit touchy, a bit hairy, uh, because we look at Jesus overcoming temptation, and it's easy for us to just throw up our hands and say, well... He's God, so <laughs> can, can we actually, Jesus absolutely is our example, but at the same time, how, how much can we follow in his steps? How much of this is prescriptive on what we should be doing when we're tempted, and how much is it descriptive of just Christ being our Messiah? Yeah. And so there's this fine line of how, how much should we be reading this and saying, oh, yeah, I just need to uh, quote scripture, uh, and then Satan runs away, right? That, that would be great, but like, has that ever uh, like not worked for us? Like, it, it's happened to me, right? I quote scripture, and then it's just like, nope, temptation's still there, right? And, and, and I still screw up. And so it, it really begs this question: what what is this descriptive of what we should be doing, or is it descriptive of what Christ is? And so there's there's this uh, there's this kind of fine line uh, with uh, with kind of. What are we supposed to be understanding? Where do we see us in this passage? Um, 
And so uh, this, uh, and there's also a whole other layer of, uh, is Christ's temptation even real? If, if he's God, then he can't sin, and if he can't sin, then was he really tempted? Right? Um, and rest assured, he was actually tempted. Okay? <laughs> the Bible clarifies that and tells us that he was tempted in every way that we were tempted. Right? Um, now, that doesn't mean that, he did, that his deity didn't help him out. Also don't want to communicate that. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he, uh, he has this example uh, because some people actually criticize uh, our great high priest. As he's not tempted. He wasn't tempted in the same way. He didn't feel the same uh, hopelessness that I did, right? Uh, he wasn't able to struggle through the temptation in the same way that I did. And C.S. Lewis uses this example of why would, why would you care? Like you should thank God for that, right? If, if a man's drowning in a river and a man standing on the bank steps into the river and reaches that man, you don't say, well, that's not fair. You're standing on the bank. I'm, I'm out here in the deep, uh, drowning. It's not the same thing. You shouldn't be grabbing me. It's like, no, no, no. You take the help, right? And so we thank God that he had a, a deified nature, that he had the, God, the, the nature of God, right? And yes, a perfect human nature as well. He absolutely was tempted in the same way. And he absolutely was God throughout that process. So, just want to make that super clear uh, as we go through this. Uh, so, in a certain sense, yes, there is a there is a prescription here, right? But it might not be in the way that we like to think, right? And I also don't want to uh, uh, kind of belittle this this idea because a lot of people do read this passage and they say you need to memorize scripture, right? Yes, you do need to memorize scripture. Uh, don't want to communicate anything other than that, right? Uh, however, I do feel that that might be an oversimplification of this passage. Yeah. This goes far deeper. Yeah. And in these interactions with Jesus and Satan, there's conversations behind their conversation. Yes. And in some cases, there's conversations behind those conversations. Yeah. And so we're, we're going to go kind of three layers deep today uh, and actually look at these interactions and hopefully get a glimpse of how is it that we overcome temptation in the wilderness. So uh, there's, a, there's actually three points, and I'll just, I'll just spoil the fun for you. So we'll just talk about these three points. Uh, and these three points are uh, to remember what, satif what satisfies your heart. Remember who protects your life. And remember who makes you great. So these are the three points, and yes, they do coincide with the temptation. So as we read, uh, just keep that in mind. Remember what satisfies your heart. Remember who protects your life. And remember who makes you great. Okay? So when we remember these things, when we go through temptation, uh, when, when we interact with these three things, uh, just remember that that helps us uh, overcome temptation. So let's, uh, we'll go ahead and read the passage, uh, and I'll just read uh, the whole thing, and then we'll revisit it uh, as we go. Uh, and then after we're done uh, reading, we'll go ahead and uh, pray. So... It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him along into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. 
And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give you angels order he He will give his angels orders concerning you. And on their hands they will lift you up, so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him along to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All of these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to serve him. So let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, I just... Uh, I just thank you for uh, another opportunity for us to get together and, um, and just look at your word. I just ask that you, um, you allow us to, uh, to interact with that word and you, and you teach us what you, what you have us to learn. Um, and you just make it abundantly clear, uh, your word and, uh, and not mine. Please just reveal uh, your character and your nature to us. Reveal to us Christ more fully. And just make known to us uh, in, in better and new ways uh, the redemption and salvation that you've offered us and how you're working through us. And also reveal to us uh, in, in better ways uh, the work that you have for us as well. Thank you again for, for everything that you've given us. And just keep us focused on you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so uh, I, I just want to hang out in, uh, in verse one uh, real quick, uh, because again, this, uh, this kind of sets the stage, uh, and this also begs uh, a ton of questions. Uh, this, this one aspect of this, uh, of this passage, um, you, I mean, you could have uh, like a whole lecture series on this. Uh, and when Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness uh, to be tempted by the devil, just stop there. Okay, so the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And again, this, this begs a question because I think all of us want to read this and just be like, well, that's the Messiah, right? Like the Spirit led the Messiah in. Um, but in, in a very real sense, the Spirit does this with us as well. Like just too many times in the scripture we actually see, so we see Israel being led into the wilderness as well. And Israel is not our Messiah. We can't say that this is something that's, that's, uh, that's only specific to Jesus. And it was. It was very specific to Jesus. We always need to keep in mind that Matthew was concerned with depicting Jesus as the better Israel. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's good. And so if you read through uh, Matthew, he gets the, chron uh, the chronology a little bit different. And a lot of people criticize Matthew. Ah, he got it wrong. No, no, no. He's trying to communicate a very specific story. Right? He wants to communicate that Jesus is the better Israel. Right? He is the Messiah. Where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. And so we need to keep that in mind as we're reading this. Is We need to understand that, yes, Jesus is the better Israel. He, is, he had to go to the wilderness, and he had to be tempted, just like Israel. But so do we. We, too, are drawn into the wilderness. And like Ovi said in week one, we're giving gifts in that wilderness, right? But sometimes we need, to, we need to accept the fact that we're being drawn into the wilderness to be tested or tempted. That doesn't mean that God tempts us, though, right? James makes that very clear. Uh, God does not tempt any of us. 
And also, uh, I think we, we kind of throw up this, uh, uh, this white flag of just like, well, it's not our fault either because Satan tempts us. Well, I mean, we're pretty good at tempting ourselves, right? <laughs> so we, we need to be comfortable with the fact that sometimes God leads us into the wilderness and, and we just tempt ourselves, right? Yeah. Like we just do it. Um, and, uh, and also, I mean, there's, there's groups of us, generally people aren't only in isolation. We do a pretty good job of tempting each other as well, yeah. right? Yeah. And so we need, to, we need to understand our culpability in this, right? And I think a lot of us, we hear that the Spirit leads us into, uh, into the wilderness, and then we're, we find temptation there. Uh, and uh, and we, we throw up our hands and say, see, God, God caused this. Um, yes and no, right? Like he, he, he needs us in the wilderness, right, for a purpose. It doesn't mean that we get to succumb to temptation. Also, we need to recognize that in the rest of this passage, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, and we don't see God or the Spirit again. And that should make us uncomfortable, because often the wilderness feels like that. And we looked at that last week with, uh, with Elijah. With it, it feels lonely. It feels like isolation. It feels like you've just been abandoned. So often, we find that we want to do a good work for God, and we, we step forward, and we kind of follow the Lord's leading, and then we get there, and we find ourselves alone. That, that can happen to us, right? And this, this idea of wilderness, it does provide, it does provide this, this uncomfortable uh, isolation that God sometimes interacts with. And sometimes uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a place for us to remember. It tests our memory. It tests us on how to remember the past wildernesses. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. If you look at all of these interactions, uh, Satan tempts Jesus. And then Jesus always responds with a past temptation and a present uh, overcoming or a present success. So Jesus succeeds through remembering the past. And I, I, I think that's, that's an element of this, is that as, we, as we're led into the wilderness, we need to remember the past wildernesses. And that's why those three points are, they all remember. It's remember what satisfies your heart. It's remember uh, who saves our souls or protects our souls. And it's remember who makes us great. And that, that's how we overcome temptation in the wilderness, is that we remember the past wildernesses. And also, just keep in mind that if the Spirit leads us into the wilderness, He is not leaving us in the wilderness. And that, that it can feel, even, even if we feel isolation, uh, rest assured, you're not alone. He didn't leave you there. And also, you're not going to stay there all the time. At the very end, just please recognize that then the devil left him and behold, angels came. Right? It's, it's this switching of once, once it's done, once the, once the temptation's over, uh, then relief comes. Right? And so often that happens. Just trust that spirit led you there. He's not going to leave you there. So... Let's go ahead and uh, take a look at the, uh, at the first temptation. And, uh, and this is our first point of our three. So as I read uh, through the first temptation, just keep in mind, uh, remember what satisfies your heart. Okay, keep that in mind as we read. 
Uh, and, uh, and again, that's, uh, that's one through four. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. This, uh, this might seem like an odd temptation, and, and uh, in a certain sense, at least the first two, uh, they definitely seem odd. Um, and uh, we'll talk about the third one. Definitely seems like kind of Satan's nuclear option, right? But we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that. So this one seems odd, right? If, if someone just fasted for 40 days, like bread would be tempting, but like, why not go all the way? Like, why not like tempt him with a buffet, right? Or, or, or something that like really, like something that would actually get him, right? Uh, a loaf of bread that, that's effective, right? I, I'm not, not going to say that it's not effective, uh, but, uh, but we do need to recognize that it's, it's a little underwhelming, right? And that's, that's always kind of confused me. I'm just like, man, you're like, you're Satan, right? Like, you're, <laughs> this is what you do, right? You don't, <laughs> this is your job. And, and I just, I feel like he kind of punted, right? Um, and and I, I think the, the, it's, the subtlety is, is important here, right? Uh, because it is, it's just a loaf, right? It's just, it's just a little thing. And, and also, it's a good thing. It's not overindulgence. It's... It's nothing extravagant, right? Um, and also, it would be perfectly within the realm of, of reason for the Son of God, the Messiah, to do this, right? And I, I think that that subtlety is important. It's because sometimes our temptations are so subtle, sometimes we just don't even see them, right? We just kind of go along with it, and we don't even recognize that there's Satan behind it. But, uh, but Christ absolutely recognizes this. And the subtlety of this is just this, this brief uh, subtlety of just satisfy yourself, right? You, you can do this. This is a good thing. Just take it, right? And, uh, and what, what's probably most telling is Jesus' response to this, right? Because Jesus sees it for what it is, for what it actually is. Uh, and, uh, and someone like me who just reads this and I think, well, that's, that's underwhelming. That's uh, because I, I, I would probably, uh, I would bite on this temptation like that, right? I wouldn't even see it as a temptation, but Christ sees it for what it is. And so his response is so important. Uh, and we actually find it in Deuteronomy. Uh, and that's uh, Deuteronomy 8, uh, 3, but we're going to read 1 through 3. Uh, just for some context. Uh, just a brief word about Deuteronomy, if you're not sure kind of where Deuteronomy falls in the uh, Old Testament uh, kind of history. Uh, it is important because all three of Jesus' responses are found in Deuteronomy. Okay, so we didn't understand what's going on in Deuteronomy. Uh, and this is, uh, Israel had left Egypt. They, uh, they rebelled against God uh, just moments later. And, uh, and then God causes them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Right? And this accomplishes uh, quite a few things. Uh, wandering in the wilderness had effectively killed the people that, that rebelled right, from old age right? and just strike them dead um, just from his grace. Right? He had every right to, but he chose not to. Uh, and so he causes them to wander in the wilderness, and that kills all the people that rebelled. And now the kids that have grown up in the wilderness are now standing at the precipice of the promised land. And they're about to walk in. 
And God gives them this, the law a second time. It's Deutero. If you guys didn't know, that's Deuteronomy. So the second giving of the law, right? So that's what's going on in Deuteronomy is the 40 years had just ended. They're about to walk into the land. And God is reminding them, remember these last 40 years. Remember why you've been here. Remember the past wilderness. Remember what happened to your fathers uh, when they rebelled. Because when you enter that land, and if you rebel in that land, the same thing happens. Remember the wilderness. That's, all, that's, that's what Deuteronomy is getting at. That's the whole crux of the theological message, is remember the wilderness. And here's the law, obey the law. So, with that in mind, uh, we're, we're now going to read uh, uh, Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. And hopefully uh, that context uh, helps us out. And so it says, All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, so that you may live and increase and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years in order to humble you, putting you to the test, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you go hungry and fed you with the manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, in order to make you understand what a man, that a man shall not live on bread alone, but shall live on everything that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So I, I, I want to highlight something that he said just before that quotation. And this, this, is, this is kind of this, uh, like I said, this is where the subtlety is found, is this idea that they were tested to reveal what was in their heart. The thing that they desired the most. And it, some of those things aren't bad desires, like bread. Like just recognize that God, God at least, con- he concedes the fact that man doesn't live on bread alone, right? Bread does sustain us bodily, right? However, God's also saying it's not the only part of the equation. Bread is a good thing, yes, but what makes it good is God, right? And, and so what the wilderness did for, these, uh, for their fathers and what it did for uh, these kids that are now about to enter into the land, what it did is it revealed the desires of their hearts. And it revealed in their hearts whether they would obey or disobey the commands of God. And so you, you can see the subtlety of, of what uh, Satan's offering Jesus is just satisfy yourself. Right? It's a good thing. Satisfy yourself. Just take a little. And Jesus is saying, I am satisfied. It's, it's almost as if it's nothing, right? Like, no, I, I don't need to. Remember, remember uh, Israel? And he's, he's almost educating Satan where he's like, remember when, uh, when God said uh, that man doesn't live on bread alone? That, that's, that's why I'm satisfied. I am happy. I, I am satisfied. I'm satisfied by the word of God. I don't need that bread. It's like a, it's like a missed temptation, right? And I, I think that's important is because often when, when we don't see those subtle temptations, we don't see the just satisfy yourself is because we're, we, we're not already satisfied. We're already looking for something else. 
And that, that's, it's probably the most common temptation that we can identify in our lives is, is we're looking for something else. We're looking for something to satisfy us. We're looking for that better job, or we're looking for that better relationship, or we're looking for that new thing that's going to satisfy us, or, or, or we're, we're looking for something that's going to satisfy us. And when we get there, we're just not satisfied. It's just not enough. Um, yesterday, uh, and I swear this had nothing to do with the sermon, and it didn't even occur to me until like late last night, but... Um, my, my son, he asked for a very specific breakfast yesterday. And I gave him that very specific breakfast, and he sat down and looked at it, and he wanted to go play instead. <laughs> and, uh, and so, and I had no idea why this popped in my head, but I, I just, the thought came to me. I was just like, okay, like, I'll cut a deal with you. You can go play, skip breakfast, right? Go do whatever you want. Not whatever you want, but go play with your toys, right? But, if you skip breakfast, if you get it from the table, game over, right? You, you can't eat until lunch, right? And he's like, okay. And I'm like, no, no, you agree too quick, right? You need to understand the terms, right? And so I, I, I repeated it, and I was just like, you, you can't, no snacks, no second breakfast, no, I'm really hungry, and it, it's gonna really hurt, and it's gonna get really uncomfortable, because I know you're gonna get hungry. Do you understand, if you get up from the table, that's it. Right, until lunch. And he said, yeah, and I was like, okay, like, you, you sure? And, uh, and so he, he agreed, and so I, I let him do it. Um, and like I said, this was, this was totally off the cuff. I didn't think it through, because it was as much of a catastrophe as you probably think it was. <laughs> so he gets up, and like not even three minutes later, uh, he's just, I'm starving. <laughs> And, and I told him, I was like, I know, man, like, I, I get it, right? And just the next, I don't, I don't know, it was like three, four hours-ish, there was just so much crying and frustration, and so many times I had to re remind him, I'm not doing this to you. I don't want you to be hungry, right? Trust me, this is painful for me too, right? And, and, and so I just explained this over and over. This isn't me, right? This is what you wanted. This is a choice that you made, right? And so, and, and the irony is, is that during that whole period of time, he, he didn't get to enjoy his toys at all. The things that he, he left at the table, he went to go pursue, and those things didn't satisfy him because he, what, his belly wasn't full uh, from the thing that actually allowed him to enjoy his toys. And so often, and, and this is, you, you almost see that this, this is what Christ is getting at is, is well, I don't, I don't need bread. I, I have God, right? And, and bread's a good thing. It's just, but what if you enjoyed it more fully because you were already satisfied in God? That's good. Amen. What if we were able to enjoy that new job, which is a good thing, because we were already found our satisfaction in Christ? You see, how this, it's, it's, it's a subtle temptation, but it just didn't mean anything to Christ because he was already so satisfied. What is it that satisfies our hearts? What are we hungry for? Are we hungry for God? Are we hungry for something else? If we find ourselves hungry for other things, we need to ask ourselves, it might be a good thing, but are we already satisfied in Christ? If we're not satisfied in God, that thing is just going to make us more angry. Right? It's going to make us more restless. And that's exactly what happened uh, with, uh, with the children of Israel. It revealed what was in their hearts. Being hungry revealed what was in their hearts. 
And in this same situation, uh, this, this question revealed what was in Christ's heart. And in his heart, it was following God. It's the word of God. That's where his heart was. And everything else was just meh. Bread? What's another 40 days, right? So this, this is where I, I, I want us to kind of uh, understand is that we, we must, in, in, in the wilderness, when we're tempted in the wilderness, we need to remember what, always ask yourself, remember uh, what satisfies our hearts. If we're not satisfied in the wilderness, we, we should, that should cue us up to recognize that we aren't satisfied in God. Okay, let's move on to the next, uh, the next temptation. And the, and the second point, and again, keep, these, uh, keep this in mind as we go through, uh, through this, but it's remember who protects your soul. Who protects your soul. So uh, this is, uh, is going to be found uh, in Matthew uh, 4, 5 through 7. So I'll go ahead and read that. Then the devil took him along into the holy city. And had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and on their hands he will lift you up, so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So we'll stop there. Um, and again, I, I've always read this and just be like, who's tempted to like jump off cliffs, right? Like this, this can't be a real temptation. Um, I mean, like, yeah, like when was the last time uh, the devil took you to a cliff and he's just like, go, man. And you're like, oh, I really want to, but I probably shouldn't, right? It's, it's just not something that you really resist temptation on. And so often I like, especially younger, like I, I read this so many times and I'm just like, is Satan like hunting here? Like, is he just like buying time? And he's like, oh, I got to walk really slowly to Jerusalem to like, so I can think of a really good one. It's, it, it just seems like there's just no point to this, right? But again, the, uh, the conversation that's happening behind this conversation uh, is going to illuminate uh, all of this. Uh, and then, like I said, there's actually a conversation behind that conversation uh, that's going to add even more context. Uh, now, there, there are also a lot of people that think that this is a real temptation uh, because if uh, Jesus did jump off uh, and angels, I mean, it would have been pretty well populated, right? There would have been a lot of people there. If he did jump off and a bunch of angels came out of nowhere and just like grabbed this dude uh, and then like gently left, left him on the ground, uh, everyone probably been like, hey, that's probably the Messiah, right? And so he, he probably would have asserted his, his messiahship if this had actually panned out, right? So I, I get that argument. However, it also begs the question, if he did jump, then he would have sinned. And if he would have sinned, then it wouldn't have been the messiah. Would the angels have actually come in the first place? Right? There, there's that whole dichotomy. Right? So all of that aside, I, I, I just feel like those arguments are all missing the point. And so, uh, and, and I think the temptation that came before and Jesus' response to that temptation is what, uh, is what kind of communicates what's happening in this one. And so the first temptation is that uh, Satan's saying, just satisfy yourself. And Jesus is saying, I'm satisfied by the words of God. I don't, I don't need bread. And so Satan's like, all right, put your money where your mouth is. God said, his word said, that you can jump off and nothing's going to happen to you. Put your money where your mouth is. Prove it. 
You don't actually believe that he'll protect you. You don't actually believe that he'll protect your soul. Because if you did, you'd jump and I know you won't. Prove it. And so this, this, is actually, this is actually Satan kind of pushing Jesus on his first, his first rebuttal. You said, it's your terms, you said that you uh, are satisfied by the word of God. But you're not. Because you won't jump. Satan's calling Jesus on his bluff, right? The, so this, this is very much a real temptation, right? Well, maybe, maybe I, like, what, what, if, what if I don't? What if I don't trust God? Would God actually save me if I jump, right? So whether, whether that actually was a temptation for Christ or not is beside the point. What Satan's getting at is put your money where your mouth is. Prove it. Jump. Let's see what happens, right? So, uh, and, and what's, what's kind of bound up in this is that you don't know, like, you can't know for sure that he'll save your life. You can't know that for sure. So many people have died in the past that trusted God, right? And he didn't protect their lives. You can't know. And so, again, Jesus' response to this uh, is, is telling, right? We actually kind of see the undercurrent of what's actually going on here. Uh, in Jesus' response. So it's going to be in Deuteronomy 6, 16 through 19. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his provisions and his statutes uh, which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, so that it may go well for you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land which the Lord swore to your fathers, by driving out all of your enemies from you, as the Lord has spoken. So again, we get, we get this idea. So if you guys don't know the story, uh, Israel, before they walked up to the land, right? Uh, and, then, uh, and then the spies came back and they're like, there's giants in there. We can't go in there. Uh, and so God's like, all right, game on. Like, you're just, you're not going in now, right? Uh, and so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, right? Uh, and now what's happened is Joshua has, wrote, uh, has, has come to prominence and all those kids are now going into the land, right? And so there, there's still an element of we need to go in there and we need to defeat these enemies. But we know that God is with us. He's been with us for the past 40 years, right? And so what God is getting at in Deuteronomy 6 is just don't worry about your life. I protect you. What I need you to do is obey. Go into the land, drive out the enemies, and I'll take care of your life. You do this little thing, I'll do the rest. Right? But don't test that. It's me that protects you. Right? It's me that tests you. Don't test me. Trust me. Don't test me. And then he, he references back to Massa. Don't test me like you did at Massa. Instead, trust me. I have you. I have your soul. I have your life. I protect you. So it begs this question, well, what happened at Massa? So this is kind of the conversation behind the conversation. So, uh, we'll go ahead and read that. That's, a, that's found in Exodus 17, 1 through 7. Um, like I said, we're in the scriptures a bunch. Like, we're, we're reading. Okay. So, just bear with me. <laughs> so, Exodus 17, 1 through 7. 
It says, Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord. Um, which, I mean, that's... There's like a whole sermon series in this passage. Because um, that begs so many questions. Um, like, what stages are we talking about? Anyway, let's keep going. Uh, and camped, camped at Rephidim, there, there was no water for the people to drink. So the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water so that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people were thirsty for water there. And they grumbled against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What am I to do with these people? A little more, and they will stone me. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and water will come out of it, so that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. And then he named the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the sons of Israel, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And that, that last quote there, I think that, that really kind of cinches it for us, right? It's this question of, like, is, is, is the Lord really here? Does the Lord really care about us? Does he really protect my soul? Does he really protect us? I just got an email uh, yesterday that um, one of my coworkers' husband uh, just passed away from COVID. And we, like, we, like, just hundreds of us have been praying for this guy for, like, well over a month. And it's been like this really slow, painful, two steps forward, three steps back. Where a lot of times it's, it's the opposite, right? It's, these, it's this really slow progression. But him, it was just like, man, he's doing really good. And then it just goes bad so fast. And he's doing really good. And then it just goes bad really quick. And it's just like for a month and a half, we've just been begging God, please, please just heal him. They got like a 12-year-old boy. It, it's, it's just heartbreaking, right? And you just, you pray and you pray and you pray and you just, you're begging God, please just redeem this situation. And then he dies. Does, is, is God really among us? Or can we, can we actually trust? Just like Satan's telling, uh, telling Jesus, like, if, if you actually jumped, you really think that God's going to save you. Put your money where your mouth is. Prove it. You don't actually trust the word of God. If you did, you'd prove it. And what Jesus is saying, no, no, I, I do trust him. And that's why I don't test him. And that, that's, that's kind of the, the undercurrent of what's going on. Is again, just like the first temptation where it's just, just satisfy yourself. And Jesus is like, I, I am satisfied. And then the second temptation is the exact same thing. Where it's, well, prove it. I, I don't have to because I, I know it's true. I, I remember, Right? God, God protects our lives. He protects our souls, right? Now, does that always mean that we, we're, we're just kind of happy and health and wealth and all that good stuff? No, sometimes, sometimes we die, right? Break the news to you. Like, we, we all die, right? And that is true. And we need to recognize the fact that sometimes God brings glory to himself by bringing home the saints. 
And we, do, we desperately want those people to come back from sickness. We desperately do, right? But that doesn't mean that God doesn't glorify himself the way that he wants to be glorified. He will be glorified in bringing home his saints. And so we, we do need to, and this is exactly what Jesus is getting at, is, is I do trust. That's why I don't test. If I was faithless, then I would need to test. That's why I would need actually, I would need proof. But I don't need it, because I know God does protect my soul. He protects me. So even if there is an element of, uh, you know, Jesus jumping off and he can prove his messiahship to everyone at the temple, uh, the, the fact still remains. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't need to test God. He doesn't need to prove it because he already knows it. And in the same way, uh, we, we kind of fear for our lives in these temptations when we're going through these wildernesses, right? We fear for our lives. We fear for our souls. And then we start asking our questions, is the Lord even among us? Is God here at all? And if, if we find ourselves asking that question, if we find ourselves in that space while we're in the wilderness, we're being tempted by this, we need to recognize the fact that we're not remembering who protects our souls. We don't need to reach out to other things that's going to save us. It's not going to be uh, our military. It's not going to be our government, not our president. It's not our vaccines. It's not our guns. It's Christ. Right? Christ, and this is what saves our souls. And it's nothing else. We don't need to test God. Is he actually here? Is he actually going to pull through for us? He will. Trust it. You don't need to test it. Trust it. So we'll move on to the last temptation. And this is the third point. And that's remember who makes you great. Remember who makes you great. So it starts in, uh, in uh, 4, 8, Matthew 4, 8. Again, the devil took him along to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, for it is written... You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left, and behold, angels came and began to serve him. Uh, so, like I said, this one, uh, this one feels far more visceral than the other two. It definitely feels like Satan's kind of, like I said earlier, it's, it's kind of like his, his nuclear option, right? Like, no other recourse, like, let's see what happens, right? got nothing else to lose let's let's go for this also what's probably the most important thing about this temptation is this is the first time that that satan doesn't question his sonship satan at this point just recognizes his messiahship and he, he knows that that's not a game he's going to win and so the only way he does win this game is if the messiah does capitulate right i i need his worship that's the only way out of this and it is. It's very much Satan kind of coming up to Christ and saying, listen, you are the Messiah. I get it. I'm with you on that. We're on the same page. You don't have to suffer, though. Satan recognizes that the Messiah must suffer. There is a suffering servant, right? I know this game. I know how this story ends. You don't have to go through this. There's another way. There's a better way. 
here it is. All the kingdoms. This is your job. Rule with an iron scepter. Go, go, go take everything, right? Go rule the world like you're supposed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a better way to this. It just costs you one thing. It's just, all I'm asking for is just your worship. I have all their worship. They all worship me. And it's great. I don't want it. I just want your worship. I just want you. I'll give that all to you. You can take it. I just want you. This, this is heaven, right? And you actually feel that, because this, this is quite literally what, what Jesus was asking for at the Garden of Gethsemane. Is there any other way, Father? Is there any way around this? And that, that's exactly what Satan was offering. Is Yes, there is. There's a better way. There's another way. Woo. Right? This, this is real, right? This, this hits. I mean, even, even Peter, when he, tells, uh, when he tells Jesus, like, you, you got to stop talking about dying in Jerusalem. And he tells him, uh, get behind me, Satan. Right? He's getting tempted again by this temptation. There's a better way. Peter's like, you, you got to stop with this. There's a better way. And Jesus is like, no, like, you, you got to stop. Like, it, you get behind me. There isn't a better way. This is the only way to get my job done, to get the job of the Father accomplished. There is no other way. And so this, this, is, this is what Satan's offering, and it's, it's easy to see how this one hits hard, right? The other two, there, there's kind of conversation, but this one almost doesn't even need uh, to be explained. This, this one hits and you, you feel it, and you, and you almost, you're, you're, you feel desperate for Jesus in this one. And so again, in, in Jesus' response to this, uh, we, see, we see far more uh, context. So let's go ahead and read uh, Deuteronomy 6. It's, uh, the quote is actually in Deuteronomy uh, 6, 13. We're going to back up and read uh, 10 through 15 for, for context. So, uh, Deuteronomy says, uh, Then it shall come about that when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and carved cisterns that you did not carve out, and vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. And you eat and are satisfied. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. And you shall not follow other gods, any other god from the people who are around you. For the Lord your God who is in the midst or the middle of you or the midst of you is a jealous God. So follow him or else the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you. And he will wipe you off the face of the earth. What, this, this, is, this is exactly what, what, what Jesus is getting at. Is, is Satan says there's a better way. Just go make your own success. Go make yourself great. This is your job. It's a good thing. Go, go do it. Go take it. And what Jesus is saying is I can't. I can't take it because it's God that has to give it to me. And that's exactly what he's saying here is, is, is God is telling the people of Israel in Deuteronomy is that I'm giving you a land full of houses that you didn't build. 
I built them. It's, it's full of cisterns that you didn't dig. I got those for you. It's, it's full of vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant. I got those for you. You didn't do any of this. It's me that's giving you these good gifts. You didn't make you successful. I made you successful. You didn't make you great. I made you great. And when Satan's telling Jesus, go make yourself great, he said, I can't because God makes me great. Hallelujah. It's the Father that makes me great. It's not me. It doesn't work like that. And again, the, the, the temptation just kind of falls flat where it's just, go make yourself great. And I, I, I can't. I, I, I feel this so often where like, I, I, I want to communicate God's word. I, I, want to, I want to preach a good word. And I just I get to a point every time when I'm writing these sermons where I just, I can't. Like, this, this is so far past. I just, I can't do this. Right? And that, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's not you. Remember who makes you great. Because it's not you. It's God. And so when we find ourselves in these wilderness and we just, we, we need to find a way out and we're suffering and we just have to make it end. And we're, we're just, we're suffering and suffering in which I, I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. I've got to get out. Right? I've got to make something better. I've got to make a better life. I've got to get my new job. I've got, to, I've got to make something good out of this. Just remember that you can't. Remember who makes you great. It's God. We do this in ministry a lot too, right? We, we want good things, right? And, we, we, and we, we, we kind of press into it and press into it and press into it. And then we just, we recognize that God's not giving it to us yet. He might. It's a good thing. He might give us the lost souls that we're looking for. But if it's not time yet, it's not going to happen. It's God that makes us great. Sometimes it takes patience. But it, it always asks us to remember. You have to remember who makes us great. Probably the most important thing about this is, uh, is the fact that all of this, in Satan's temptation and in uh, Jesus' response, both of them are bound up in worship. And it's, it's, a, it's an interesting dichotomy where it's the things that we get actually come from the things that we worship. And I've been reading this book, and it's, it's been fascinating. It's tracing this idea throughout the entirety of the Bible, uh, and it's this idea that you become what you worship. You become what you worship. And it's something that's never struck me before, but, uh, but it, it's pretty wild. You actually see the elements of that throughout the entirety of the scripture, right? Israel's, uh, they're, they're, they're described to be stiff-necked, right? Or they go off the way, right? Or they run about wild. It's almost like they're a wild cow. And what did they worship? This is a golden calf, right? And then even in Hosea, uh, which we're, we're going to see in, uh, in D groups, again, we're going back to D groups, uh, it, it, one of the criticisms is that they are just like a wild and stubborn cow. And what did they worship in Bethel? It was the calf, right? Would you become what you worship? You see this whole idea strung throughout the entire, uh, throughout the, uh, the, the Bible, it's, it's in the New Testament quite a bit, as well as the Old Testament, is this idea of if you have eyes to see, but you are like you have ears that do not hear, or you have eyes that do not see. What does that mean? It's talking about you're becoming like your idols. Just a stone idol. You have eyes, good for you, but they don't do anything, just like your idols. You have ears, but they don't do anything, just like your idols. This is often a judgment motif. 
where we actually look at um, at Isaiah, and he's actually given uh, this this uh, command to preach a message that will offend and will confound the people that that hear it. This is judgment. You want to worship these idols? Fine, go be like your idol. You can't hear this message anymore. That, that it's terrifying. We become what we worship, and so Satan is giving Christ the option to get to become great through assimilating with Satan. And what God is giving us is is greatness by assimilating with Him. Worship Him. This is this is big because in in, in the Old Testament, like we see Israel try and try and try and they can't. But we, and Hebrews 1 talks about how uh, in, in, in the past, uh, God revealed through the prophets, right, and through the law, but now in the last days, he's revealed through Christ. What if we worshiped Christ? What if we became something like an image and started becoming something like a son? What if we actually started to become something that actually could do this? What if we started becoming something similar to the thing that we worship. Hallelujah. And I think this gets back to what I, the question that I posed at the very beginning. Is can we actually do this? Is this prescriptive of what we can do? How we can overcome temptation? I, I, don't, I don't think we can. Right? I think Israel has proven that over and over and over throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. Is we can't. Right? And sometimes you get a good king and they remember the wilderness from the past, right? Uh, and they, they kind of like restore things, but they just, it just doesn't stick, right? And so is, is this prescriptive? Can we do what Christ did here? Yes and no. Like we, we can't, but if what, what, what if we become what we worship? What if we do become a little bit more like Christ? Now, recognize that we're, we, we don't actually become idols, right, when we worship idols. We don't actually become Christ. We don't actually become God. I don't want to communicate anything like that. Little gods of theology and all that stuff. Yeah. But what, what if we had the ability to resist temptation through Christ? What if our focus was on Christ? What if it was Christ in us that made us great? So I want, I, want to, I want to touch on uh, um, probably the biggest, the biggest issue. So uh, um, there's one more passage in Deuteronomy that Jesus doesn't quote, but I want us to back up because it's, it's right before all of these passages that Jesus quotes. And that's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. This is known as the Shema. Like I said, it's just, it's just a few verses before all of these quotations. And it says, Hear Israel, the Lord your God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. It's almost as if all of these temptations uh, were lining up perfectly with the Shema. It's almost as if Satan has been following the same formula forever. And God is giving Israel a heads up. The, the, game, the plan has never changed. If you just love me with your heart, if you know what satisfies your heart, if you remember what satisfies your heart, if you remember who protects your soul, if you remember who makes you great, 
and you love me, you love the Lord your God, you'll you'll be able to overcome temptation. And he quotes all of these passages after the Shema, right? He he knows what's going on, and he know that's why all these temptations fall flat. I, I don't need this stuff. I have my God. I love Him with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my might. So can we do this? Can we follow the Shema? No, but we can follow Christ. He did it. He did it perfect. And this is actually, this whole concept is what uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13 is. So I'll go ahead and read that. And uh, a lot of us are familiar with 1 Corinthians 10, 13, uh, where it says, and, uh, and God never gives us a, a, any temptation that we can't endure, right? He always gives us a way out. And, uh, and when we're going through temptation, we just repeat that over and over and over and over, right? And just trust that, like, the temptation is going to go away eventually, right? But the context is, uh, is, is, uh, is everything in this. Um, yeah, well, let me just read it. The context gives itself. It says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers who were under the cloud, and they passed through the sea, and they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food, and they all drank the same spiritual drink, For they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for their dead bodies were spread out in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they indeed craved them. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor are we to commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor are we to put the Lord to the test, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example that they were written for our instruction, upon whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let the one who thinks he stands watch out that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except something common to mankind. And God is faithful, so he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But But with the temptation, you will be provided a way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Exactly what Paul's getting at is, remember the wilderness from the past. Remember, this was given as an example for you. Remember that this, this, is, this is for our benefit that we got to see this. And this also, this, this, this adds so much weight to this whole concept of, right before that passage where, where Paul talks about, uh, you, you, you'll be able to overcome temptation, as he says, there's no such thing as a temptation uh, that's not common. It's like Satan doesn't have any of those, right? And we feel that when, when we're going through temptation, we feel like it's just, it's shaking our world. Yeah. It's massive. Yeah. And it, it, we just, it's disorienting. We don't know which way is up. And yet Paul tells us it's not even uncommon. Huh? It's actually not that even, it's not that big of a deal. 
And you actually see that in Jesus' response where it's, I just, like, take some bread. Yeah, that, that's good, right? I just don't need it. Well, prove it. Prove that you actually uh, trust in God. I just, I don't need to prove it. I don't need to test him. I just, I already know. I said, well, go make yourself great. I, I can't. It doesn't, like, he makes me great. I, I don't make me great. What happens is if, if, what happened if we live in Christ, if we find ourselves in Christ, if we find fulfillment in Christ, if we find victory in Christ, what happened if, if all of us just found temptation to be common? What if our temptations weren't disorienting or earth-shaking? What if they just felt common? What if they just felt flat? What if they didn't hit? Could you, ima- could you imagine? Like what, what would happen to, uh, to the, the porn industry? If all the Christians, it just didn't hit. Yeah. You're just like, meh, I just, that doesn't, like, it just, it just, it's disgusting. Yeah. What, what if we had that attitude? What if we had an attitude where we didn't complain about the things that, that were plaguing us? What if we didn't go around and, and, uh, and, and, make, and just complain about the situations that we're finding our, in, ourselves in, but instead we just worship God for giving us these good gifts? What, what would happen if, if the world saw us uh, just overcoming temptation in our wilderness? What if all these temptations just felt common to us? I think this, this, is, this is where, where we find uh, really the thrust of this passage is, uh, can we just quote scripture and, and resist temptation? Yes and no. Like, so I don't want to discredit that. That can happen, right? And you should memorize scripture. You should know what the scripture says. You should know the promises of God. You should be able to recite them and teach yourself and edify yourself and edify the other saints. Right? We need to be doing that. And I don't want to discredit that. But this goes three layers deep. It's a lot deeper than that. We need to find our, our, our victory in Christ. Because even Christ remembered the wilderness and he's giving that to us as a gift. Remember the past wilderness. Because I beat that and you can beat it too in me. We can beat it in Christ. We worship Christ. We become what we worship. If we want to become great, if the church wants to become great, if we have any hope of doing anything good in Garden City, if we want to become great, it's God that's got to do that in us. But how can we ever hope to do that if we're not worshiping our Christ? Right. We have to find our sustenance. We have to find everything in our Christ. It's almost like we can modify all of these points. So that's our last slide. Is what if instead of remembering what satisfied your heart, we, we remembered that Christ's sacrifice is all that we need? Mm-hmm. What if instead of remembering who protects our souls, we remember that Christ is the one that gives us eternal life? What if instead of who makes us great, we recognize that it's Christ in us that does good works. It's not us. What if all of this has always just been about Christ? And all we have to do is just worship him. And we don't have to white knuckle our way through temptation. But it just doesn't hit anymore because we worship our Christ. And it's through our Christ that we find victory over our temptation. So as we go throughout our week, as we, as we kind of meditate on these things and as we, as we go home, I want, us, I want us to keep this in mind. 
just worshiping Christ, getting more Christ, focusing on Christ, focusing on his victory, and him overcoming temptation in the wilderness. This is where we find our victory. Let's focus on Christ this week. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.